Well, good evening, people of Mosaic. Welcome, welcome. Hey, my name's Kyle Jackson, and I'm one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship, specifically for Saturday Night Crew. And I'm excited to see you on this Easter weekend. If you're a guest with us tonight, we just wanna let you know that we have some, uh, some of our pastors out in the lobby. They'll be here um, after the service for you to connect with. But for now, we get to worship King Jesus, a resurrected Jesus. So would you stand and sing with us as we worship? focus on the cross and ask the Spirit to remind you of something about His resurrection, some truth in this moment.
coming, but it's for forever and we get to live in it now. We'll sing about his goodness tonight. Would you sing this with me? You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in.
take our offering tonight. And this is a rhythm that we've done every single week since the beginning of the new year in an effort to just establish a more consistent rhythm in our, our time together. So would you read this with me? Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us your Son, and your Spirit. Amen. Let's continue in our worship. And I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasure are never enough Then you came along And put me back together And every desire is now satisfied Here in your love Oh
bridge You turn morning to dancing You give beauty for ashes You turn shame into glory You're the Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the, direction, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And the people said, this, this is, the, is word the word of the Lord. Lord. You can take a seat. Well, good evening. Welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. We're so glad you're here to celebrate with us this Easter weekend. And hey, if you're new, if you're visiting, we would love to get to know you, to connect with you personally. We do this every Saturday night. Um, we gather here. We are a group of people who love and follow Jesus and want to follow him and grow in him together. And we would love to invite you to join us in that. And so if you're new, can you just um, come say hey to us? There will be some of us up at the front afterwards. There are also people in the welcome booth out in the center foyer. Uh, we would love just to get to know you and help you get connected here. One of the questions that, that I have had to wrestle with many times in my life is what do I do with broken things? See, I have a little bit of a, um, a problem um, some people call it hoarding, um, and, and I, I have a really hard time letting go of things. I have a Walmart sack sitting in my sock drawer right now with, I think, five old iPhones that are shattered and cannot take a charge. And yet, for some reason, I still have them sitting in that Walmart sack as if there is some future for these phones. And they really have one place they belong. It's in the trash. It's gone. I have a pair of pants. This is a really great moment from a couple of Easter's ago. Um, it was our first Easter back after COVID. We were all gathered together and went to an outdoor service. And I had a blanket out on the lawn. And I had, I had, I had gotten a little bigger during COVID. And so um, in, the, in the back of this service, 
uh, we, service is over and I bend over to get the blanket and rip about an eight inch hole in the back of my pants that I hadn't worn for a year. And I'm standing there with like 500 people in a giant hole in my pants. And so fortunately I had an undershirt, so I just unbuttoned the shirt real quick and wrap it around my waist like this so I can cover things up. But here's the interesting thing. I mean, these pants are done, right? They sat in the floor of my closet for like another year because I, I couldn't let go of them. I, I, need, I didn't know what to do with these things. And the reality is they just needed to be thrown away. They were done. I mean, in, even in our obsession with renovation and making things new, when the floor is rotted out, you don't save that floor, right? You, you trash it and you put something new in. Sometimes things are broken beyond repair and the only answer is to trash it and start over again. Unless, unless there was a way to make something broken and ruined beyond repair new again. That is the idea of resurrection. When we come to the story that we're looking at tonight, we've been in this series in the Gospel of John looking at these I am statements that Jesus makes, where Jesus is explaining who he is to the people around him, and he has these seven statements that, to tell you who Jesus is and what he's all about. And tonight, we're gonna read a story about Jesus stepping into a really hard situation. Um, Jesus had three very close friends, and they were all siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and we see them show up again and again in the stories, and it was clear that they were just very dear friends of Jesus. You know, sometimes um, our picture of Jesus can be almost like a, like a stoic, God-like figure that has no personality. He just stands on mountaintops and makes proclamations. Um, but that's not the picture of when we get in the Gospels at all. He, he is fully God and fully human, and he had friendships. He had close, intimate friendships of people he lived life with, and these three were very close to him. And he had gotten word that Lazarus was very, very sick. And he was, he was doing ministry, and they had said, you need to come see Lazarus. And Jesus waited two more days, and in that time, Lazarus died. And so now, Jesus is making a trip to Bethany, to Lazarus and Martha and Mary's home. And at this point, Lazarus has been dead and in the grave for four days. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter 11, verse 17. We read, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Uh, the detail of four days is probably significant because there was a, a kind of Jewish myth that after somebody died, their soul hovered near the body for three days just to see if things were gonna work out. And then after three days, the soul moved on. And so when it says when somebody's dead and in the ground for more than three days, it's, it's similar to our phrase, they're six feet under. We're saying, Lazarus is really dead, okay? So he shows up and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And we read, now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. That tells us a couple of things. One, um, this is a family that's well-known and well-loved, and they have people coming to be with them in grief. But 
we also have a growing movement in Jerusalem of people who want to see Jesus dead. And Jesus had been ministering up in the north away from all these people that are really angry at Jesus. So as he comes to visit this family, he's going into the lion's den. He's coming near the conflict of people that want him dead. And so he comes in, and and we read in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. One of the things I love about this, and this tells me the the truthfulness of these stories, is that you see real personalities of people coming up. Has anybody heard the story of Mary and Martha whenever Jesus was in their house teaching? Remember uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, learning, and Martha's in the kitchen preparing dinner, taking care of things? How many of you have seen something like this happen in grief? Jesus shows up at the house, Mary stays in the home grieving, but Martha immediately goes into hospitality mode. Even though she's deep in grief, she hears someone's visiting, she goes, okay, I can be a host. And in her grief, she's still in like, okay, I'm gonna go welcome Jesus and I'm gonna be there for him. It matches her personality perfectly, that that's her response. Even while she's grieving, she hears that their friend Jesus is coming and she runs out to give him a proper greeting and to welcome him. And then this is what she says when she sees him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We know from Martha's relationship with Jesus and the way she revered him, the respect she still shows from, this is not a rebuke. This is grief. Martha knows, Martha has seen Jesus heal the sick. She has seen Jesus do amazing things and she is in this moment of grief pained by what could have been. And she goes to a phrase that I don't know about you that that I have come across in grief and almost everyone I've ever known grieve goes there at some point. It's the if only phase. If only this had happened. If only we would have gotten that checked out six months earlier when we first thought something was wrong. If only we had tried this instead of that. And Martha, in her pain and in her grief, goes straight for if only. But here's the reality that Jesus knows. There is zero hope in if only. If only is a bottomless pit of unreality and despair because if only is is not real. There is no hope in a phantom imaginary world. And yet so many times with the, the painful things in my life, it's like anybody ever watched a movie that you've seen before and you know a train wreck scene is coming, but you try to will the scene to play out differently even though you've seen the movie before? I mean, there are so many moments in my life that I try to go back and replay and will them to be differently. On, on a slightly lighter side of things, I remember my senior year of football, uh, there was a play. We, were, we, we had game filmed this team. We knew what they were going to bring, and they had one incredible athlete that we knew the entire game was around stopping him. And I lined up one play, and I recognized exactly what they were about to do. I knew the play, and I knew I could jump on this play, and if I did that, it was interception six points the other way, and I had a split second to make the choice, and I made the choice I always make, which was play it safe and stay in position, 
and they ran the exact play that I knew they would run. I got blocked out and they took it 30 yards. I have probably replayed that very play about 40 times in my mind. And I'm convinced that early in the season, if I get that interception, the Razorbacks probably recruit me. Like the trajectory of my life changes in that one split second decision. And I have, if only that play over and over again, willing it to go differently. Okay, so that's a silly one. But what are the if onlys in your life? There are times that I will look back on sinful, horrible decisions I've made that cause pain to me and everyone around me, and I, I will literally, I can't come to terms with the reality of my past. I, I, will, I will want to somehow go back and rewrite history as if, if I could just go back and make what happened not have happened, I could change things. There is zero hope in if only. There is no redemption in if only. Our hope, the hope that Jesus gives us, is not in going back and changing the past. And so, some of my weakest moments are when I live refusing to accept what has happened instead of entrusting Jesus with what he's gonna do with that going forward. And so Jesus he doesn't let Martha stay in if only. She, she, she starts with this, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, because we know where this story is going, um, it's easy to think she's saying, but, I mean, even though he's in the, in the grave four days, we know what you can do, Jesus. But if we follow the rest of the story, there's, there's nothing to indicate Martha expected Jesus was gonna raise her brother. That wouldn't have even been on her radar of the kind of miracle to be done. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Probably what's happening here is her simply asserting she still trusts Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I still know what you're capable of and I still trust you. She's asserting that even in my grief, I still trust you. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In this moment, Jesus is putting a theological idea in front of Martha that she responds to and affirms. And for 2,000 years of church history, of, of the faith in Christ being around, the idea of resurrection, of, being, of rising from the dead, is one that maybe we've become a little familiar with, but we need to understand what was going on in the first century when Jesus talked about the resurrection from the dead? One New Testament historian has written a 700-page book. This is what I do for fun. And the entire book is chronicling everything up till the time of Christ that had been written in the ancient world around Israel and Greece and Rome about what happens when you die. And he goes through every piece of literature in, in Greek and in Latin and you know what he found? There is literally no example in the entire ancient world of anyone thinking that somebody could rise from the dead. No one in the entire ancient world believed it was possible for somebody's body to die 
and then that body to come back, alive, back to life again. Where did they come up with that idea? Sometimes it's easy, C.S. Lewis calls this chronological snobbery. Um, it's easy for us to think ancient people were really stupid and superstitious, and now us moderns have really figured things out. But you know what? 2,000 years ago, they noticed people don't come back to life. They figured that one out, that death is final. They knew that when people die and you bury them, they don't come back. Everyone in the ancient world, whether they believe there is a soul or not, they believe that when your body dies, that's the end of the story. Death is final. Now, maybe your spirit, soul goes on to some other place. Maybe you're floating through a river underground. Maybe you're in some beautiful field running your hands through grain. They have some vision of life for a soul that happens, but no one believed that that life looked like coming back to your body on earth. There is not a single example in ancient literature of somebody teaching that. In fact, this word resurrection, it literally means to stand up again. There are people who explicitly say no one stands up again. No one is resurrected. Except for one little religious group living in the ancient Near East. You see, the Jewish people had a collection of scriptures. And most of those scriptures, they tell us that death is something that happens because we broke a relationship with God. It's the consequence of humanity and God separating from each other. And for the most part, those Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, they don't say a whole lot about what happens when you die. They just say you go to the grave. But there are a few hints scattered throughout the prophets. One of them happens in the book of Job. Look at this, this is Job talking whenever he's in his intense suffering. He's a, a follower of the Lord in the Old Testament. And he, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Three little verses in 42 chapters of poetry in the book of Job. This odd little statement. After my body has been destroyed, I know that I'm gonna look on God with these eyes. In, in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah wrote this. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Now, this is a physical description. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. Second reference. Finally, in the book of Daniel, another one of the Hebrew prophets, Daniel wrote, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. It's all we get, just a few references. And at the time that Jesus walked, this was an active debate among the Jewish people. You had two kinds of groups that were most prominent at this time. You, you may have heard of them before. They were called Sadducees and Pharisees. Those were the two names for kind of, uh, they were their Republican and Democrat of the Jewish world, okay? These were the two camps that people fell in. And the Sadducees, they really loved Greek culture. 
and they really thought the future for Israel was to be as Greek as possible and to really kind of align as much as they could. And the Greeks thought the idea of resurrection was ridiculous. So you know what the Sadducees said? There's no resurrection. We agree with them, that doesn't happen. But the Pharisees said, no, look at what this is saying. God is going to raise the faithful in him back to life in their human bodies on the earth. That sounded silly back then. No one thought that was gonna happen. In fact, when you read the story of the Jewish um, revolt against, against the Greeks, as they were being martyred by the Greeks, as they were being killed, they would say, cut off my hands and poke out my eyes, I'm gonna get new ones at the resurrection. They had faith that they were gonna get new bodies. And this was a live and active debate. In fact, at one point, when, when Paul is, is on trial, he knows he can just mention, he's got Sadducees and Pharisees in the room, and he goes, he, he's trying to figure out, what do I do to kind of get out of this sticky situation? He goes, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the dead. And suddenly these two parties start fighting with each other and they forget to be mad at him. This is the active live debate that's going on. And so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, he's bringing up this debate and is throwing in his lot with the Pharisees on this theological issue. And Martha affirms, yes, I know, he will rise. We believe in that at the last day. You see, the belief was at the very end of history as we know it, God will come and bring his kingdom. God will come in the flesh and he'll make all things right. And when that happens, the dead will rise. And so Martha knows, yes, I know, someday, someday, resurrection will come. Martha has looked, if only, to the past. And now she also has this distant future hope that someday, resurrection will come. And Jesus looks Martha in the eye and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing this will never die. What Jesus says here is that future moment that you've heard about, that you believe in, that one day God's gonna come to earth and he's gonna make all things new, that future day when the kingdom of God comes, when God raises people from the dead, that, that resurrection that you're looking for, it's me. It is not some future idea. It is actually in the person of Jesus. I'm reminded of that excellent line in The Incredibles when Frozone is considering a retirement comeback and he can't find his super suit and he gets in a fight with his wife and says, we're talking about the greater good. And you remember what she says? I'm your wife. I'm the greatest good you're ever gonna get. The greater good is not somewhere out there. It's right here in front of you. What Jesus is saying is the resurrection that you've put your hope in it's not just an event, it's a person. And that person is standing right in front of you. So Martha, consider what that means. You see, throughout Jesus' life, he had actually multiple times said, I am going to die and rise again. And his disciples didn't quite know what to make of that. So we need to understand, like, this idea of somebody dying and coming back from the dead was foreign to them too. Have you ever read those moments in the Gospels and say, how did they not get it? 
Like Jesus is saying, I'm going to die and rise again, and they're still confused. What is he talking about? That's because somebody coming back from the dead wasn't on their radar as a possibility. It wasn't something they were really thinking was gonna happen right now. That's what's gonna happen someday in the future when the world ends. It is as if everyone believed the world was flat and one person said, no, I really think it's round. In fact, I'm gonna prove it. I'm just gonna set sail to the west and if I fall off the end and die, you'll be right. But if I show up on the eastern seaboard, the question will be settled forever. When Jesus promised resurrection and he himself prepared to go into the grave, he was setting sail to the west. And with bated breath, the world is waiting to see if this idea of resurrection was true. Now, it's not only the case that resurrection refers to a physical experience in the future. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead three days after he's put into the grave, he showed the power of God on display and what God was able to do. But when Paul later is considering what it means to follow Jesus, he tells us that something incredible is happening in the life of the people who follow him. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. In Romans 8, 11, he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul says that the power that rose Jesus from the dead, the spirit, is at work in every person who follows him. Paul could further say this in 2 Corinthians. When he's writing to the Corinthians, he describes life. He says, hey, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's really hard to capture um, what Paul says in English because there's actually no verb. He actually just kind of breaks off his thought. He goes, if anyone's in Christ, new creation, boom, there it is. Like it's happening in you right now. So what that means is not only in Christ is there a hope that one day death itself will be reversed, that we will stand up again. But I don't know about you, I experience brokenness in death in more than just physical brokenness. We see brokenness in death in relationships. I experience in my desires, in my thoughts. I experience death because of sin all over my life. And Paul says, not only will God resurrect our bodies, but that same power is at work bringing new life in every part of us now. And we experience this by following the one who went first. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is described, I love the way the NIV translates it, as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean for Jesus to be the pioneer of our faith? Once again, we often imagine Jesus, as I said, as that like feelingless kind of robot God walking around saying things. 
But when we look at the story of the cross, when we see Jesus weeping in the garden, preparing for what he was about to do, when we see the story of his suffering, we see the intensity of what he went through. And there's a moment when the people gathered around him shout out, if you're really who you say you are, can't you just get off the cross? Don't you have the power to step off the cross right now? Did he have that power? Absolutely. He could have summoned angel armies to rescue him in that moment. And instead he chose to stay there. And at the moment before his death, he said something that I have passed over every time I've read it until just recently. He said to the Father in prayer, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I wonder if those words are a much more weighty prayer than I've ever realized. In that moment, as Jesus goes to the cross, he has all the power to save himself and he chooses to let himself be killed, trusting the Father to resurrect him. He says, Father, I'm giving myself to you. I'm letting death come, and I'm trusting in resurrection. I'm trusting that you have me. And Jesus became the pioneer of everyone else who would ever face Death and their worst case scenarios, trusting that God has them. Several years ago, I was talking to my counselor and I was describing something I was really scared of happening. And I said, I think this is like one of those worst case scenarios that I could ever have to walk through. And then a couple of years later, that thing happened. And I remember sitting in his office and he, he kind of just, I'm, I'm kind of a mess sitting there talking to him. And he kind of just very gently smiles and says, okay, so you're living your worst case scenario. How you doing? And what I desperately wanted the power of God to mean was that I would be protected from that worst case scenario playing out. I desperately wanted it to mean that I would not go through the thing I'm going through. And sometimes, sometimes that's how God answers our prayers. Sometimes it's the healing you're asking for. Sometimes it's the rescued relationship you want to see happen. But resurrection hope begins with death. Resurrection hope means that even if you live through the worst, that's not the end. That God can take the most broken thing, not throw it out, not replace it, can actually give it life again. And so that's what Jesus calls us to. That's what it means to trust as he puts that question to Martha. Do you believe this? Trusting the one who is resurrection and life is saying, Lord, I know you can do anything. I know the Father will give you anything you ask. And whatever pain is in my past, 
Whatever situation, I would love to hit rewind and have go differently. Whatever I'm walking through right now, or whatever future scenario that is the worst thing I could ever possibly imagine. Even the ultimate fate of death, Jesus has overcome. Like the sailor that set sea in the west, and you see him on the eastern shoreboard, and the question is answered forever. When Jesus walked out of the grave, he showed that death has been defeated. Death, the greatest power mankind has ever faced, Jesus defeated. Therefore, there's nothing we could possibly face that he can't heal. And so he invites us to trust him. Sometimes to walk with him through the hardest thing we could imagine. So this Easter, as we celebrate that Jesus is alive, that he is risen, we are called to trust. So what I want to take a few minutes to do is just a few minutes with you and the Lord to turn that same question back to us that he turned to Martha. Do you believe this? That anyone who believes in Jesus will live even though they die? No matter what they go through, Jesus will make it new again. So what is that for you? What is that moment in your past that you're stuck in? Or right now? Or maybe the, the what if of the future? Could we trust that Jesus is victorious? Even in the face of your own grave. We invite you this Easter weekend to trust the one who died and rose again. Lord, we love you. And God, thank you that you don't call us to walk a road that you haven't yourself walked. That Jesus is the pioneer, the one that went ahead of us. The shepherd who says, come and follow me. Who faced death, falsely accused, trusting in your arms to be resurrected again. God, we celebrate the king who is risen. Help us now as we we look at those obstacles to trust. The if onlys and the what ifs. Lord, help us in our unbelief to entrust our lives to you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just continue to take a moment and posture yourself before Jesus as you answer these questions that Nick has posed?
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. The fiercest drought in the storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. In Christ alone.
God, you are a living hope. Help us to sing these words and mean them. Lord, we know that you're alive. We celebrate that tonight. Would you sing with me, church? Sing How Great the Chasm. How great the chasm that away between us. How high the mountains I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your
Thank you for your resurrection on the cross. Lord, thank you for coming to save us. Lord, as a church, we understand that you are here with us now and what a wild thought that is. Lord, that you are here and you want a relationship with us. You want to be near with us. So thank you for going to the cross so that could happen. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, would you just begin to let your spirit speak in our souls tonight. Pray these things in your name, amen. If you would, just grab the cup that you, you got in the entrance. And if you need to grab one, feel free to go grab one. Would you just prepare the elements and just hold them? body of Christ and the blood of Christ is what they represent. And this is a great communal practice that we get to take part in. That binds us together with Jesus. So if you would, just take the bread and eat it. This is the body of Christ broken for you. take the cup and drink and that's the blood of Christ spilled out for you. Amen. Church, if you need prayer tonight, we'll have the prayer team available up front and on the sides. They'll have white badges. If you're a guest, thank you for coming. We'd love to connect with you. Um, let's prepare our hearts as we go. So let's say this. Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. We'll see you next week, church. Happy Easter.